Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 in just a little bit. We've been in this series called Keep Your Love On, um, dealing with relationships, and we have learned a lot. Amen? All right. And so, you know, the idea of turning our love on, becoming powerful people, people who choose to be responsible, to choose to love others, to keep our love on even if other people turn them off because we know the scripture teaches us we do not get to turn our love off. We have to keep it on. And what the difference of connection is in the body of Christ and pursuing connection with other people, pursuing connection with my spouse versus just hoping we stay connected. And we talked about the battle between fear and love. We talked about the pillars of healthy relationships and the goals of communication. Remember, the goal of communication is not for us to agree, but the goal of communication is for us to understand. And sometimes we try to find that place of agreement. That's conflict resolution. And instead of just understanding, we talked about this in Sunday school today, too. It was a great lesson on being slow to speak, being quick to listen. And we don't always do that. And so last week we talked about uh, healthy boundaries. And so we put all of this together and we've come to basically the end. And this, this sermon, this chapter is called Learning to Love. Learning to Love. And in the chapter, if you've been reading the book with us, he tells the story of a man who, I can't remember, or I, I don't recall if the man passed away and stood before Jesus and had a vision that way or if he just had a vision. But in some way, this man stood before Jesus and Jesus looked at him. And I don't know what you've envisioned the first thing Jesus is going to say to us when we see him. We know that as believers, as people who have put faith in Christ, that when we come into relationship with God, we get to stand before Jesus and he, we are in the kingdom. Okay, On judgment day, we don't have to stand there and be like, am I in? Am I out? I'm worried. Uh, if you have put faith in Christ, you are in the kingdom. But the Bible says there will be a judgment when we stand before Christ and we give account for what we've done in the body. You and I who have received the Holy Spirit in full measure in our lives by putting faith in Christ have to give an account for what we did with that. Did we share him with others? Did we love others? And in this vision, this man has the vision of Jesus asking him this one question. Did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? To love. I don't know if you imagine Jesus saying, hey, did you drink? Did you smoke? Did you use dirty language? Did you watch dirty movies? Did you, you know, look at internet pornography? Were you faithful to your spouse? I don't know what question you think, but this is a very challenging thought. Did I learn to love? And even as we come through to the end of this series on relationships and building relationships and healthy relationships with one another... You know, it's easy for us now, okay, well, the book is over, the series is over, hey, that was good, some good information. But the question is, did we learn to love? Did I learn to pursue connection with other people? Did I learn to communicate and, and to do these things? And here's the thing, we're going to close the chapter on this book today, but I don't think we'll ever close the chapter on this book. If you don't believe me, in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? 
Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You see, Jesus is the one that taught, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And in the church world, we kind of get that backwards. We try to, to obey his commandments to somehow earn love. And we feel like he loves us when we obey him. But Jesus didn't say, obey my commandments so I will love you or so that you will prove your love for me. He said, if you love me, if you get this right, if you learn to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and, and, and strength, if you learn to connect with me, if you learn to pursue me, all of these things that we've talked about in relationships, if you apply that to your relationship with God, if you do that, the natural outflow will be, you'll obey my commandments. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the same way I have loved you, now you love others. And all the law and the prophets, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Meaning if you just did nothing else but pursue what it is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you pursue what it is to love your neighbor as yourself, you'll actually fulfill all the law in the prophets. Maybe it does all boil down to whether or not we've learned to love. Everything flows out of love. In John chapter 13, Jesus says to his disciples on the night he's going to be betrayed, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Not love one another better than you did yesterday. Not love one another better than the guy next to you. Not love one another better than the world does. Love as I have loved you. That's what we strive for. Now, here's the thing. I don't have to feel guilty when I don't measure up because the cross is taking care of my guilt, but neither do I get to be lazy and say, well, because of the cross, I don't actually have to try to do that. I strive for it. Loving others just as he has loved me. Now, look, look at this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you notice it doesn't say everyone will know that you're my disciples if you keep the Ten Commandments. Not that, there's a, not that we shouldn't strive to keep the Ten Commandments. Not that everyone will know that you're my disciples if you give them a track. No. And it's not like there's anything wrong with giving out tracks. But here's the thing. We try to do all these other things in our relationships in the body of Christ clearly show that we're just like the world because there's the same kind of division and strife and fighting and backbiting and gossip and slander in the body of Christ that there is at work. 
And then we try to tell people, we serve this great God that can heal your body. You have cancer. I believe in a God that can heal you. You have this disease. I believe in a God that can heal you. But, you know, I don't believe in a God that can actually make my relationships right. Remember, James said, if you claim to be religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. See, if we would just strive to love God with every part of our being and strive to love one another as he has loved us, the whole world would begin to see the God that we serve. That's the whole point of everything we've talked about. Did we learn to love? See, this doesn't mean that you and I are never going to disagree. It doesn't mean that my spouse and I are never going to disagree. Of course we're going to disagree. We're two different people. The only person on earth that I agree with all of the time is me. And even then, there are days. You know, there are days where we even argue with ourselves. I'm not alone. But it's in that disagreement we pursue connection. We're going to find common ground in this. This isn't a deal breaker. In fact, there's nothing in the scripture that says this allows me to take my love off toward you. Yeah, maybe I have to set some boundaries and maybe I have to to do some other things, but my love has to stay on because that's what he did to me. Even the most moral, righteous person in the room, I don't know who you would think it is. Maybe look around, try to find them. Who's the, who's the nicest person in this room? Who's the person that you would think, that person doesn't have any sins? I mean, they are like so nice all the time. I don't know how they do it. Even that person was an enemy of God. The same as the worst sinner in this room. Now, don't look around and point them out. You know, that irritable person, that one with all the flaws that you so readily see, which, by the way, are probably a lot like yours, but that's different. Those people are exactly the same. We were enemies of God, not nowhere near deserving his mercy, nowhere near it. And yet he did. He gave it to us. And Jesus taught us, I want you to go and learn this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire, if you're going to choose between mercy and tithing, choose mercy. If you're going to choose between mercy and church attendance, choose mercy. It's not that tithing isn't important. It's not that coming to to church services isn't important. But he says, this is where it's at. And we get people that tithe and go to church and do all of these nice religious things and they haven't learned to give mercy. Mercy is when someone deserves a tongue lashing, you don't give it. When someone deserves to be put in their place, you don't give it. Nor do you ignore them. You don't say, fine, if that's how they're going to live their life, I'm just going to ignore them. That's not love either. You tell them the truth in love. That's what we've been trying to learn over these last several weeks. And here's the thing. We're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to figure this out. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
He doesn't just love. He is love. And if he lives in us, we will love. And the proof that we know him is that we love. Now, here's the thing. We can all point to people that we've taken our love off towards. And you know what? We can justify it. We could, absolutely. We could find scripture to justify it. We could find reason to justify it. You could find a crowd of people to agree with you. You were justified in taking your love off toward that person. But when you stand before Jesus, the question he may ask you is, did you learn to love? And remember, this is the the man that taught us to love our enemies, bless those who curse us, do good to those who hate us. Because we want to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. I mean, I bet all of us in this room have a list of people that we love, and we all have a list of people that we pray for, and we all have a, a list of people that we do good to, but how many people on that list that we do good to hate us? And how many people on that list that we pray for persecute us, despise us? No, we want to spend time praying for the people that treat us good. I want to, I'm not wasting my time praying for those people, those jerks. You've missed it. We haven't learned to love. And who cares if we've read the book if we don't learn to love? We want to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. Because if we know God, we will love. You know, there's a scripture in in Daniel where Daniel says, the people who know their God will firmly resist the enemy. They will do great exploits. People who know God will do amazing, shocking, powerful things. And I would say that statement's true. The people who know God will love people that many would declare unforgivable and impossible to love. If we come to know him, we will be able to love the unlovable. And the people that everyone else says, Man, those people are unforgivable. What they did to you, that was unforgivable. What they did to you, that person, that's impossible to love. In John chapter 13, when Jesus humbled himself and washed his disciples' feet, he said, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. Now you know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. Where does the blessing, the blessing doesn't come from reading, keep your love on. I mean, how many, you you got blessed by it, didn't you? I mean, you read the book and you're like, oh, this is so great. This makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. And oh, this utopia of my relationship with my spouse, this is beautiful. And the church, oh, this is going to be our church. It's beautiful. And then you put the book down and your spouse is like, did you make supper yet? Where are my socks? Why didn't you take the dog for a walk? Or you come into church and someone's like, you missed prayer. You missed Bible study. Where were you? And keep your love on is like, where's the utopia? (laughs) See, we're not blessed until we actually start doing these things. And we got to keep doing them over and over and over and over and over again. We talked about it in Sunday school. Don't just listen to the word. Don't just read the book. Do what it says. And if there's anything in the book that we just read, Keep Your Love On, that's not backed up by this book, okay, throw it out. But I think you'll be hard-pressed to find that. I think that helps us learn how to actually put our love on 
toward others. And there it is again. Those who consider themselves religious but don't keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. <clears throat> you know, there's actually two sins that I know of in the Scripture that are, use the same word abomination to describe them. Did you know that? Abomination. One, we all know pretty well because it gets trumpeted really loud in our society, is homosexuality. It's an abomination to the Lord. The homosexual is not an abomination. The sin is. But here's the other one. Those who sow discord among brothers. Those who sow discord among brothers. So those who say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? I can't believe they did that. Same abomination. I know that that one seems a lot more spiritual than homosexuality, but we're not keeping our love on. And the world sees it. And then we say, well, you know, the world just wants to stay in their sin. No, they just want genuine love. Real love. Real love that embraces sinner while rejecting sin. Francis Chan talked about those thousand-pound people, remember in the video, that couldn't, couldn't uh, even move themselves to feed themselves anymore. They had to like have someone else feed them and all they could do was chew and move their mouths. And he compared that to the church. We've become these thousand pound people who sit in the pew every week, feed me, feed me, feed me. But we, we don't go out and do it. We're just like that sinner that, that came, the, the, the guy that came before and got the debt forgiven, the billion dollar debt, and then went out and choked his fellow servant because he couldn't pay his debt. We're missing it. And God's not in heaven going, oh, you stupid people. He's in heaven saying, guys, I want you to hear my heart because here's the thing. I'm coming. I'm coming. I mean, the church world is starting to hear it. And I, I love what I'm hearing. I see so much humility, so much love, so much, you know, striving for holiness still in the body of Christ, but not in a legalistic sense, in a I want nothing to separate me from God type of sense. I mean, he's coming. Now, I know a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, so it could be like a thousand more years, but it could be this week. We don't got a lot of time for people to see the love of God in our lives. They need to hear. In 1 John chapter 3, John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Laying down our lives. What's that mean? To lay down our lives for others. I mean, I'll love you as long as it doesn't infringe upon my rights. But if I have to lay down my rights, no, these are my rights. This is, this is the, the American church that we live in today. These are my rights. I have the right to act this way. I have the right to say these things. I have the right to do this. No, you don't. I mean, yeah, you do as an American, but are you an American or are you a son or daughter of God? I don't worship the flag of the United States of America. Grateful for everyone who gave their life for me. But if someone wants to kneel at the flag, kneel at the flag. I'd prefer that you kneel at the cross. Because that's the only thing that matters. When anyone stands before Jesus, he's not going to say, hey, were you patriotic? <laughs> he's not. Is he going to say, you know what? People gave their life for you and you just rejected that. He may say that. 
But you know what? Most of the people who gave their life to defend that flag are okay with people kneeling because that's the whole point of why they gave their lives, to give people the right to do that. But you think, we think we have the right. We have the right to, to mouth off on Facebook about anybody and everybody because what they're doing is so evil as if what we're doing isn't. And it's like the Holy Spirit's coming and just pulling the lid off this thing and saying, hey, get your heart right. Get your heart right. Let people recognize the love of God. Do you know, people recognize the love of God in Billy Graham. I don't know how many stories we've heard about this man who reached out to people like Jim Baker in prison. Jim Baker. I mean, they're not even theologically on the same page. Benny Hinn talking about Billy Graham and how Billy Graham has been an influence in his life and Franklin Graham and even confessing that he's taken the prosperity gospel to an extreme humbling himself and repenting, if you will. And no one's noticing all this stuff. One man who was just determined in his heart to tell others about the love of Christ and just acted out in his daily life. He's not a hero. He's a follower of Christ. Do what he did. Live like him. You don't have to stand on a stage and preach to thousands, but do the stuff he did day to day. Otherwise, when you stand on a stage and preach to thousands, your life won't mimic that. This isn't really kind of a sermon. This is just like a, hey, we're coming to the end of the book, but don't put the book away kind of thing. One last scripture from Galatians. Well, actually, I've got two and then a video. And we're not like done yet. Don't, don't pack up. <laughs> Galatians chapter 6. Don't be misled. There's that word again. Don't be deceived. You cannot mock the justice of God. You can't. The justice of God will Always, 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 always prevail. I mean, if you feel like someone died and they didn't get justice, trust me, it will prevail. God's ju God always gets the final word, always. Death doesn't stop him. <laughs> final word with God all the time. You will always, not most of the time, <clears throat> not 99% of the time, you will always harvest what you plant. Always. Why do we keep our love on? Because we always harvest what we plant. Amen. And so if I don't plant love, I'm not going to harvest love. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest death and decay from the sinful nature, but those who live to please the Spirit, what pleases the Spirit? That we love one another. will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Don't get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time we'll reap a, reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore... Now, Reg has taught you really well, I know, those of you that have been in Sunday school, when you find out a word therefore, you find out what it's there for. So in light of everything that he just said, okay, all of these things he just said, you've got to, you, will, you will harvest what you plant. So because of that, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Do good to everyone, even those who hate us, remember? Do good to everyone, especially especially those in the family of faith, not those who agree with every dot and tittle of doctrine in your life. Good gracious. We'd all have our own churches if we had to all agree on every dot of doctrine. Do good to everyone. So when he's talking, I mean, we've used this passage for all kinds of stuff, and we stop at the therefore. 
Don't give up. Keep doing what's good. Keep proclaiming the truth of God. Keep doing all. And all of that is true. But in this context, he says, do good to others. Do good to others. Why? Because if you plant good to others, what will you harvest? Good. But if that person wrongs you and hates you and you return in kind and you slander them, what will you harvest? Slander. You will harvest evil. I mean, you cannot mock the justice of God. It will happen. may not instantly come. You may think you can get away with it. You may think you can just slander everybody you want to slander and treat people just like they treat you. But in the end, you will only harvest what you plant. I would love to harvest some good, so I need to plant good. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I speak in any tongue, speaking in tongues of the Holy Spirit, angels, men, every tongue, every language on earth, but I don't have love. Okay, Paul's not dissing all those things. He's just saying, don't think that those things matter more than love. Because this is what we do. We're like, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you don't love anybody. So I don't care if you pray in tongues six hours a day. If you don't love people in your daily life, <laughs> it ain't working. I don't know what you're praying in, but you're not, you're not receiving the love of the Father. If I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge and faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love. I'm nothing. You may be able to fill a stadium with people that are, walk away and they're like, wow, that is so amazing. That guy can put a sermon together and it's just awesome. But if you don't have love, you've got nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and even give my body over to hardship so that I could boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. It's possible to do all of these things. It's possible that we can have all this miraculous stuff God is doing through us and around us, and if we lose sight of the priority of love, we don't have an amazing relationship with Jesus. We've just got some amazing gifts. My connection to the Father is proved by how I love, not by my gifts, not by my sacrifices, by my mercy. In Psalm 119, verse 32, David says, I will run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. This is kind of how the book ends with this thought that if we're going to love as Jesus loves, we need bigger hearts. We need gigantic hearts. When Jesus challenged his disciples to forgive up to 70 times seven, seven times in a day, remember what they said? Increase our faith. And do you know what he told them? He's like, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be gone. See, what he was saying to them is, you don't need more faith. Faith isn't the issue. You need love. Because you only need this much faith to move a mountain. You need bigger hearts. You need to love one another. He tells the story in the book of the horse named Secretariat. I don't know if you've ever heard the horse, seen the movie. Great movie, uh, if you want to watch it anytime. 
Secretariat was a horse that won the Triple Crown in 1973. And uh, even people that don't know anything or like horse racing, uh, maybe you were alive in 1973 around a radio or television set trying to watch this race. Maybe you were there live in, um, in Belmont watching this race. But, you know, Secretariat had won the Kentucky Derby and they won the Baltimore Preakness. And uh, they, you know, many horses had done that. But it had been over 25 years since any horse won the Triple Crown. And if you know anything about the races, the Belmont, the last leg of the Triple Crown, is the longest of all of the races. And so some horses that in this three-week time have to run these three races in three different states, they just don't have the stamina to make it. And so winning the Triple Crown is really just a difficult thing to do. And this horse uh, was, was sired by a father that never won any of the legs of the Triple Crown. So the fact that he had already won two legs of the Triple Crown was amazing. And his owner believed, and the trainer with all their hearts that this horse was going to win the Triple Crown, win the Belmont. And there was one other horse that was going to give him a run for his money. And uh, I, I debated whether or not to show this to you. And I was going to show you the clip from the movie of the final race, and it's all like Hollywood dramatic. And, you know, as the horse is coming down the, the, the home stretch, there she's singing, Jesus, wash my sins away, and it's all, yeah, yeah. Uh, but instead, I want to show you the original. Okay, this is going to take just a couple minutes. This is the original 1973 Belmont in New York, the last leg of the Triple Crown. Two extras in case of difficulty. And you will see, and Secretariat being led, he is, number is two, but he goes into the number one post. And then coming in after him is uh, Private Smiles the, with the distinguished... Whitney colors. Most of these are quiet horses. The starters have handled almost all of them. They don't anticipate any trouble. And as this third horse goes in, I give it up to Chick Anderson, who will call the race for you. Thanks, Woody. The horse is continuing to move into the gate. Here's the one horse that caused a bit of trouble in the Derby. Twice a prince, but he appears to be going in fine today. Yes, he's in and well. And Sham now going in. He's the outside horse, and we're ready to go for this tremendous Belmont stick. Everybody's in line, and they're off. Looks like the early lead goes to Mike Gallant. Yes, Mike Gallant going for the lead with Twice the Prince on the outside. Secretary to away very well, has good position on the rail, and in fact is now going up with the leader. They're moving for the first turn. It is Secretariat. Sham on the outside is also moving along strongly. And now it's Sham. Sham and Secretariat are right together into the first turn. Mike Gallant has third behind them. Then it's Twice the Prince, and the trailer is Private Smiles as they go by the turn. Those two together, Sham on the outside. Sham getting ahead in front as they move around the turn with Secretary at second. Then there's a large gap. Make it eight lengths back to Mike Gallant in third and Vice of Prince fourth. And Private Smiles is still a trailer. They're on the back stretch. It's almost a match race now. Secretariat's on the inside by a head. Sham is on the outside. They've opened 10 lengths on Mike Gallant, who is third by a head, with Vice of Prince fourth. Then it's another eight lengths back to Private Smiles, who is trailing the field. They continue down the back stretch, and that's Secretariat not taking the lead. He's got it by about a length and a half. Still Sham, 10 lengths back, Mike Gallant, Vice of Prince. They're moving on the turn now. For the turn at Secretariat, it looks like he's opening. The lead is increasing. Make it three, three and a half. He's moving into the turn. Secretariat holding on to a large lead. Jam is second, and then it's a long way back to Mike Allen and twice a print. 
They're on the turn. It's Secretariat is blazing along the first three quarters of a mile in 109 and four fifths. Secretariat is widening now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Secretariat by 12. Secretariat by 14 length on the turn. Cham is dropping back. It looks like they'll catch him today as Mike Allen and Vice Prince are both coming up to him now. But Secretariat is all alone. He's out there almost a sixteenth of a mile away from the rest of the horses. Secretariat is in a position that is impossible to catch. He's into the stretch. Secretariat leads his field by 18 lengths. And now Price of Prince has taken second, and Mike Gallant has moved back to third. They're in the stretch. Secretariat has opened a 22-length lead. He is going to be the Triple Crown winner. Here comes Secretariat to the wire. An unbelievable, an amazing performance. He hits the finish 25 lengths in front. It's going to be Price of Prince second, Mike Gallant third. And Sam, who had it today, dropped back to fifth. An amazing, unbelievable performance by this miracle horse. And look at Mrs. Sweetie. She's having the time of her life. She and Lucian Lawrence, who own this most magnificent animal, who has today run the most sensational Belmont stake in the history of this race. Secretariat has accomplished the unbelievable task of breaking the mile and a half record by two and three fifths seconds. That is a record that may stand forever. The time of this race, 2.24. Almost unbelievable. At that point, I said 25. It could conceivably have been more. The time of this race, I must tell you again, an unbelievable 2.24, two and three fifths seconds, the record. Unbelievable is all you're hearing down here in the winner's circle. And this horse, we haven't been able to digest it yet ourselves, Frank Wright, have we? Count Fleet, Man of War, and compare him to all the great ones, and he certainly deserves it, Jack. What an incredible de effort. <laughs> demolished that field and absolutely demolished it. No contest. Listen to the crowd. Listen. And he certainly should be proud of what he and his horse did today, Jack. My goodness, it, never in my dreams did I think it would be a race of that. Never in my dreams. How many times did you hear the word unbelievable, miracle, like a machine? So you and I can put some of these principles in practice and be better than the church down the street. That horse won by 31 lengths, a record that still stands. It wasn't the fact that the horse won. It was that the fact that the horse wasn't even close. See, I don't want our love to just get better. I want it to be supernaturally inspired where people use terms like unbelievable, miracle. When they autopsied this horse at its death, do you know what they found? If you've read the story or seen the story, you'll find that the heart of Secretariat was two and a half to three times larger than the average heart. Two and a half to three times. The, when, they, when they saw the heart, they said they all stood back and were just like, it weighed 22 pounds. 22 pounds. That's great for a horse. But look at it in this context. Imagine what would happen if a bunch of Christians started walking around with hearts three times as powerful and loving as anyone around them. People might actually start believing God is real. 
See, I don't want you to do your best. I want you to catch a vision for what is in our Father's heart that says, hey, no one in this room could possibly love their neighbor like me. But if you ask me, I'll enlarge your heart so you can obey my commands. One last scripture while the worship team, if you want to come and prepare. From Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, look at this. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into, look at what it's going to grow into, God's love and keep you strong. What, it's not God's righteousness that keeps us strong. It's not God's holiness that keeps us strong. I mean, those things are important, but it's God's love that keeps us strong. And that we would have the power to understand how wide and long and high and deep his love is. That you would experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. So you will be made complete with all of the fullness of life and power that comes from God. At the end of this message, at the end of this series, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come and we're going to take these communion elements and we're going to gather. And as you take the elements, I just want you to stand here in the front. And if you need to sit, if physically you need to sit, we're going to leave the front row for you so that you can sit. But I want us to all gather here in the front. We're going to sing a song as we come and gather the elements and prepare. And uh, all I'm going to do is we're going to take the elements and I'm going to pray. If you're here and you say, you know what, I want that kind of love, well, let me tell you, I'm going to promise you it's not possible in your own strength. So what we're going to do is say, God, enlarge our hearts to receive it, to understand your love. Even though your love is so great, we're never going to be able to fully understand it. But enlarge our hearts to understand it more today and to give it out more. And that's the cry of our hearts. Or this series is just a good series teaching us a couple good things to make our relationships a little better than they were before. Or this series could be something that changes the complete directory of this church, of your lives, and this city. And I believe that's what's in the heart of our Father. So I want to invite you to stand with me. The, the, worship, the worship team is going to lead us in the song we sang earlier, Reckless Love. And as they do, I just want you to come. Grab a communion element, find a place to stand here at the front, and let's just continue to worship as we uh, wait to receive together. Before I spoke a word singing over me You've been so, so good to me Before I took a breath
says in Ephesians chapter three that he wants us to experience the love of Christ. You know, there's nothing sacred, special about the front of this room, but I like what Pastor John said last week, and something I feel like God has been putting in my heart is there's a time to step out. He called us to the front last week and said, you know, there's, there's a time to just step out and say, God, here's where you are. All through the scripture, people that would have been, would, would, people that did receive a miracle from Jesus didn't receive it because Jesus went to them. It was because they went to him. They stepped out. And I know that there's a, a practical side of this and it's not just experiencing the love of God. We've got to put shoes to the ground when we walk out that door and put it into practice. But we have no hope of putting it into practice if we don't experience it first. And that's what this moment is about. It's each of us saying, God, we recognize your love. Man, when I was your foe, your love fought for me. I couldn't earn it, I didn't deserve it, and yet you gave it away. And some of us can't give that away to others because we haven't fully understood and received it yet. And so my prayer today is when we take these elements, that God enlarges our hearts to experience his love. So Father, in this moment right now around this altar, as we hold these elements in our hand that really are just symbolic of what you've done for us, God, we recognize that it's more than that. It's more than just a, a nice religious tradition that we do here, at, here on first. God, this is a divine moment where we come before you in full recognition that we were your enemies and you poured your love out for us. You demonstrated what true love is when you gave your life for us. God, that love is superhuman. That love is just not possible. God, we need you to enlarge our hearts today. God, I pray that as we take these elements together, Holy Spirit, help us to experience the love of God in a deeper way than we ever have before. Your word says it's higher than we can measure, it's wider than we can measure, it's longer than we can measure, it's deeper than we can ever, ever, ever measure. And so we can obviously experience it today in a way fuller than we experienced it yesterday. We need you to enlarge our hearts. We need to be able to receive your love today in a greater way than we did yesterday. Because God, we don't want to just be better at relationships. We wanna be unbelievable. We wanna be miraculous. We don't want people to look at us and say, oh, that's a, that's a nice church and nice people. Those are good people. We want them to say, never did I dream that that was possible. We want them to look and say, it's almost unbelievable. We want them to know that we're yours because of the love that we show. And God, we can only do that through you. So Jesus, thank you for making this moment possible. And as we partake of these elements together today, may we experience that love in a fuller, fresher, more powerful way than we ever have before. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's partake of those elements together today.
One more time before I close, I'm going to speak to the elephant in the room. I believe today that God put a hold on this service for someone who wasn't in right relationship. And I know that you can take care of that anytime, anywhere, and I'd encourage you to. But my fear is the moment you walk out of this room today, you're not going to take care of it. And so our prayer team is going to be here in the front at the conclusion of this service. And if that word was for you and you wrestled with coming forward, maybe you knew you should have and you didn't, we want to make ourselves available to you, to pray with you, to encourage you, to be the first one to hug you and say, welcome home. We don't want to shame you. We don't want to put guilt on you. In fact, we want to help take it off. And I felt like sharing my story today because I want you to know that it's possible to be a fourth-year Bible college student studying to be in ministry and still be far away from God. And so maybe you're not the prodigal that needs to come home. Maybe you're the elder brother that needs to come in and hug the Father today. Say, I don't want to slave for you anymore. I want to love you. And in loving you, I want to obey you. I want to reverse that today. I don't want to just obey you anymore out of duty. I need need to know your love. I need to know your love. So if that word's for you, maybe you thought it was for some hellion out there that needed to come home, but it might be you who sit in a church pew every week, but you serve out of obligation and not out of love. And the Father's calling you to come on in. And so, Father, I pray today for every heart in this room, every heart that is away from you, every heart that is not in right relationship with you. Holy Spirit, that you would draw each and every one of us today into a greater intimate relationship with you, our Father. That we would love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And in turn, be able then to love our neighbors as you've loved us. So God, may these things be planted deep in our hearts today. May they produce change in our lives from this day forward. And now, God, I pray your blessing over this body, this body that you love, this body that you have been faithful to for so many years, this body that you will continue to be faithful to, God, even when we we become unfaithful to you, you remain faithful to us. God, I pray your blessing over them, every individual, every family, every marriage, every relationship. I pray your blessing over their lives, and I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them, lift up your countenance upon them in every way. God, ultimately give them peace, that peace that passes all understanding to guard their hearts and minds. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you wanna be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer. Our prayer team is here. And uh, if you need prayer for anything, 
today. Please find us. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you as you leave. God bless you as you go.